gave me the heads up that he was going to make a comment. He actually told me last week he was going to make a comment and he refrained. And I said, you should have. And, you know, the only retort I really have, I had, a, I had another one, but the only retort I have is, well, if you buy shoes like this, you should expect comments. So, <laughs> like, what do you expect, right? So, it's all good. Um, actually, just wanted to make a note about Tanis and Carlos as well uh, before we get going, and that is that, uh, so as you know, they've been in the process here of moving uh, up near Roblin, and so... Um, that's been ongoing over these last few months. And so this is probably going to be the last Sunday that they're here with us. And so we wanted to have Carlos lead for one last time the service. And we also want to, at the end, we want to give opportunity to pray over them and bless them and just release them into all the purposes that God has for them out there. So, um, you know, I'll say this, we're, we're going to really, really miss them, right? I'm, I'm going to really miss you guys here um, personally. And I know that, that many of us feel that same way, if not all of us. We're going to really miss you guys and your family, so bless you. Um, so we're in Matthew 9 uh, this morning, and if you weren't here last week, we started in Matthew 9, and I expected that we were going to get through all of Matthew 9, and we got about halfway through before the Lord told me, stop. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going to pick up the second half of Matthew 9 this morning, uh, and and I, so this morning, uh, what I've titled this morning is, Do You Believe I Am Able to Do This? And, and it's a question that Jesus asks, we'll get to this morning as part of uh, the back half of Matthew 9. And, and so just to kind of um, refresh us, kind of where we've been, where we were last week, where we're at here with where Jesus, uh, what he's doing in Matthew 9. Oh, you know what? I have a charger in my pocket. That is going to cause a problem. Um, <laughs> so we, we see in this chapter, Jesus, he's, he's going along and he's upsetting cultural norms and, and expectations uh, and what people expected Jesus to be, who he was as a rabbi. And, you know, sort of, Jesus, this is the box you should fit into. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. So we, did, we spent a lot of time on that last week, looking at that. But I want to, again, remind us, as I did last week, that, that really, I think, what encapsulates this chapter is actually the, the end of it, uh, where it says that Jesus went about, he was going through all the towns and the area, and he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And, and so that's really what this is, that, that Jesus is going about and he's proclaiming this new kingdom that God is initiating through him and what he's doing. And it says there at the back end of Matthew 9 that he, he saw that the people were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And so he's seeing this and he's going that something needs to change. And I'm here, I'm here, I'm proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And so he's doing this new thing and he's, he's interacting with people and then he's, he's interacting with people. He's experienced all this, all this opposition that's coming at him as they're going, you're not what we expected, Jesus. And so we ended last week, we kind of camped on that end where there's this metaphor that Jesus uses of old wineskins, new wineskins. You don't pour new wine into old wineskins because if you do, the wineskins are going to break and that's not a good thing. And, and what, he's, what he's using that metaphor, he's, he's using that to basically talk about the new thing that he's doing. And certainly there's, there's you know, it's open to somewhat to interpretation what he's doing here. But, but the point is he's saying, you don't just put a patch, a new patch on old wineskins. You can't do that. It'll rip, it'll tear. You, you put new wine into new wineskins. And, and really, you know, I think one of the questions he's really putting to, to people and to us in that is, Jesus, we want you to fit into our predetermined ways. And Jesus is saying, are you okay if I'm not going to fit into your predetermined ways? And what are you going to do with that when I'm going to do something that's different than what's expected? And, and, he's, and, and what he's also saying in this is that, We've got to be made new. There isn't, there isn't an option here of like, 
you know, keeping the old and sort of just keeping part of the old and putting a new patch and, well, we like it this way or I like it this way. Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. And, and are you okay with that? And, and, and you're, meant to be, you're meant to be new, right? We're meant to be new vessels. So, uh, side note in this, because I, I want to highlight something out of the New Testament. And I think sometimes there's a danger in this, that we can actually interpret Jesus in light of what Paul says. And I would encourage us, interpret what Paul says in the New Testament, in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus said, because it was Paul who met the living Lord Jesus, and it was the living Lord Jesus who taught Paul, and it was out of that that Paul wrote, right, and, and, and what we have in the New Testament. So, in, and I say that because in 2 Corinthians 5, so keep in what Jesus is saying here about new, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about there, he says, Christ died for us, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for? You might think Christ died for us, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for what? Others? Right, for him. We might think, oh, no, no, we're supposed to live for others, right? Remember, others focus. Yes, but first, we live for him. It's all about God's glory. It's all about, it's, it's out of that, it's out of living for Jesus, it's out of surrendering to him, then we can live for others. Ultimately, we live for Jesus who was raised and died for our sins. And so our love for others comes out of that surrender to him. So, and then, and then so that's, that's what Paul's saying in there in 2 Corinthians 5. And then he says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, okay, that, that phrase, maybe I've said this before, but that's the phrase that's, that's littered throughout all of the New Testament. In Christ. You are, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you are in Christ. Like, you take on Jesus. You've died to self. You live for him. You are in him. You're not in yourself any longer. Right? And then he says, so we're in Christ. And then Paul says, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And I think that, think of what Jesus said here in light of what Paul's saying later on down the road. And this is in the context of, again, what Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians 5. And this is just so important for us. This, he's saying this in the context of God is reconciling the world to himself. Why did Jesus come? To reconcile the world that we needed reconciliation. And he says, you, he says there, you are his ambassadors. It's, an, it's, a, it's an, another amazing analogy, a metaphor. Think of what, what, what does an ambassador do? If you're an ambassador to another country, you represent Right? All the interests, the needs, the positions of that country. You are there serving that country. And he says, we're ambassadors. You are an ambassador. You have, you have a title. You're an ambassador for Jesus. All the other, think of this. All the other ambassadors in this world. Pretty big deal, right? I mean, if, how, many, how many ambassadors in this world are there total? Not a whole lot. You have an even greater calling than that. All of us do. Because we've been given, it says there, the ministry of reconciliation. And then Paul says there, we implore you on Christ's behalf. So what he's saying is, this is, this is our, we're imploring people. This is our role as ambassadors. We implore people, be reconciled to Jesus. We need reconciliation to God. So that's, that's again, I want to I frame what Jesus is saying there. Think about that in light of what Jesus is saying here about the, the new has come. And we're going to get into that yet. I want to I wanna also, I want to make a clarification of what I said last week. Because I, I was thinking about it after uh, and, I, and I felt like I missed an important addition on something that I said 
so, so this, is, this is one of the challenges sometimes when you speak with less notes and you go down rabbit trails or, and whatever, and, and you're trying to, I'm trying to, trying to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. I'm trying to ha- kind of have a framework of where I feel like I'm supposed to go. And then you say stuff, and I, and I was saying stuff last week about uh, religious traditions, right, in our neck of the woods. And, and this whole thing of John's disciples coming to Jesus' disciples saying, why aren't you fasting? You know, like, why aren't, and, and the point was, why aren't you getting in line doing what you're expected to do as disciples of this rabbi? And so I was talking about this, and I, I shared uh, my experience at that first joint church service that we had here in Landmark that we were a part of at the Friendship Festival, and this, this thing of how I was shocked at the lack of outward engagement with worship, right? I, I, the whole thing of I, I kind of started to realize periphery, like, no, hardly anyone else is standing, what's going on? And, and I, I'm not going to get, I, I shared that last week. But, but the point was, it was very clear to me over the years, there is a culture, there's a way of doing things. This is the way we do things. This is the culture. And if you don't, if you step out of that, it's going to feel a little bit awkward at times. I'm okay with that. Because this is the reason. This is what I felt that I missed in that. Because my, my burning question in that always is, it's not about like trying to make a spectacle. Not at all. Am what I am, what I am doing, how am I following Jesus? How am I worshiping the Lord? How am, I, how am I engaging with the Lord? Is it in alignment with Scripture? Not... Is it in alignment with the culture? Is it in alignment with what people expect or what people... Ha- no, is it in alignment with what the Word of God has called me to be? And so, and I, and I, and I believe that that's so super important for all of us. And I, I was reminded, uh, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but Gene Enns, he preached a message here. Uh, if you want to look back, it's on our website, April 2019, he preached a message called Raise a Hallelujah. It was centered around Psalm 150. It was phenomenal, practical preaching on what Scripture says about how we worship as the body of Christ. And I have, I, ever since that, that day, I was like, man, do we need to hear this. And, and, I've, and I've always thought, it, it was such a wonderful exegetical exposition of what Scripture says about worship. Not what culture says about worship. Not what, not what church traditions say about worship. What does scripture say about worship, right? Because whether it's worship or prayer or baptism or any number of functions, things that we do in the church, we have come to believe certain, this is the way we do things. Well, this is the way we do things. This is what's acceptable. This is what isn't. What does scripture say, folks? On everything. What does the word of God say? Let's be like the Bereans. Let's search the scriptures. So, because God, again, Jesus is doing a new thing. He wants to do a new thing in us. So, this leads us to verse 18, Matthew 9. So, it says, while he was saying this, so Jesus is teaching about this new wine, into new wineskins. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. So this is, while he was saying this, now new life is about to be on display. 
Jesus is talking about new life. Now he's going to work it out. This is about specific situations. This is real life. Jesus comes into these places and he is bringing new life. So this first encounter is with a synagogue leader. This, the synagogue leader is part of the establishment. But he's desperate. Right? His daughter is dead. She's dead. So, point of desperation. Would we agree? Agree that that's, that's pretty desperate. Your daughter is dead. Can Jesus do anything? And he comes to him. Now, I want to also just, when we look at the back half here of Matthew 9, there's five specific healings that take place in this chapter that we're going to see. All of the individuals that we're going to see here in these verses, including the woman, including this dead girl, they, are, they all suffered from conditions that made them unclean. So, so they were, in the culture, they were unclean. They were separate. So by definition of this, they could not be holy because they were unclean. And, and so Jewish rabbis didn't bother with the unclean. They just, they didn't care. It, they, they, were, they were shuttled off to the side. They were disregarded. Not important. So, so this, is, this is radical what's happening here. That this, this other rabbi first, last resort, is coming to Jesus. This other woman comes to Jesus. It's, it's, this, is, this is radical stuff. And this woman on the way that we read of, okay, she, she, has, she, has, a, she's been, she has a health issue for 12 years. Serious health issue, right? But compared to the dead girl, Jesus is on his way to someone who's dead, they're dead. Father's desperate. And now you've got this woman who's got this issue for 12 years. And I, maybe we could be inclined to think, why are you bothering Jesus? Why? Like, he's, d d didn't you see he's on the way? Like, there's a dead girl here that he's dealing with. Maybe, pull back a little bit. C can you wait? Could, could you come to Jesus at a better time than this? What, what are you doing? And it's interesting because you almost, like, not that Jesus would do this. He wouldn't. But I think we could think of, in our minds, going, I've got something to attend to. Like, catch me later. I'll deal with this. And, and the thing is here, Matthew, he streamlines these accounts. There's not a ton of details here that Matthew provides. If you go to Mark, Mark's, uh, his account of this, of this situation is a lot more detailed about this woman, and we learn a bit more. And we learn from Mark that this woman suffered a lot. So she was now in poverty due to this situation. She had spent tons and tons and tons of money on doctors. And it wasn't only that she wasn't getting better. She had actually said she had only gotten worse. So pretty desperate situation from her perspective, right? Whatever, whatever everyone else around thinks in the crowd, to her, she's desperate. In fact, she says, if I would only touch his cloak or if I only touch his clothing, she's like, I don't even need to meet Jesus. I don't even need to engage with him. I just, I just want to like touch him. She says, I, I'll be healed then. So, so there's, there's an element to her, actually, that is, is superstitious faith. There's, there's an element of superstition in her faith here to, with Jesus. And Mark records that really interesting little note where Jesus notes, Jesus says, he realizes the power has gone out of him. I don't know what you do with that totally. Like, I read that and I go, what do you do with that? That Jesus knew, like what, he had a, he had a level of power and he's like, oh, my battery's gone down. <laughs> like, it's one of those little notes in the text that you're like, that is fascinating. That's at least how I think about it. That is just fascinating to think about. But, you know, Jesus is looking 
This is what I think. I think Jesus, he knew, again, he knew who this woman was. He knew her thoughts. He knew that she only thought she had to touch his cloak. And he's looking to engage her. He, he could have just left it. Could have. But he, he says, wait, 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 who touched me? Like he wants to stop and go, who? Now, again, do you think Jesus knew who it was? Pretty sure Jesus knew exactly who it was in that crowd. Oh, her? He knew. So he's, this is about her. This is about, are you going to engage me? Are you going to admit your need? And I, you know, I kind of wonder, like I kind of imagine, right, like the movie style, so Jesus turns, and all of a sudden the lights go down low. You know, you know those movies where like all of a sudden there's just two people in a scene, and everything else around them is dark. And then there's like, and then you see the faces, and she's he's coming into her, and there's somber, you know, maybe a Harry Styles song playing or something like really, like like really, it, it's engaging us. You know, it's pulling your heartstrings. And then he's like, take heart. No, don't think that's how it happened. But, but I, you know, the point is, there's something tender and engaging happening here. Busy scene, busy crowd. Jesus is being pulled. You need to come here. You need to go there. And there's something really, really, really intentional here on his part. Again, he doesn't rush. He slows down. You ever wonder, why did he say, take heart, daughter? Why? We don't know. The answer is, we don't know. But something, again, Jesus knows the hearts of what's happening in her. He knows how she's suffered for 12 years. He knows her backstory. Jesus knows it all. And there's something that she needed to hear from him. And he wanted to tell her. He didn't just want her to go away with touching him and having no human interaction with him. Jesus wanted to engage her. And he says to her, your faith has healed you. So in an instant, there's healing. In an instant, there's new life. In an, th- think about that. 12 years, money, how much money spent on doctors, condition growing worse and worse and worse. How, what else is going on in her life that has left her in a place of being a societal outcast? She's unclean. She's regarded as useless. She's not engaged by anyone. And in an instant, Jesus says, you're healed. In an instant, her life is transformed. I think that we can have tendencies to minimize our needs and where we can keep ourselves from coming to Jesus. It's not that big of a deal. Jesus has got lots of stuff to do. God's not concerned about that. That's a small thing in the the big, you know, universe perspective of stuff going on. I I think that we we can think like that. Does Jesus really care about this that's happening in my life? Does Jesus really care about that? Or maybe you've messed up, or maybe you've made mistakes, or you've done things that have led you to this place, and you're like, so it's my fault. Why would, why would Jesus care about this? It's my issue. And I think that that's hitting another cultural norm, perhaps, in our culture, where it's this thing of like, I'll just tough it out. I'll just get through it. I'll gut it out myself. I'll make do. I don't, I don't have to go to Jesus. Is there stuff that Jesus is actually inviting you to say, no, no, I, I want to engage you with, with that. Are we missing opportunities where Jesus actually wants to minister to us? So he goes on. In the texts, and he comes to this situation with the, the synagogue leader. 
and the dead girl. And when he says, okay, so the text says that people are playing pipes. Well, they're playing pipes because she's dead. They've already started the whole funeral thing, the whole process of what they do when people die. And Jesus says, go away, the girl's not dead but asleep. Like, and, and of course, what, what do the people around him do? They laugh. They mock. Uh, Jesus, she's clearly dead. Like, she's not asleep. She's clearly, she has passed. And, you know, again, when a person has died, it's very obvious, right? There's, there's, there's not a, you're not guessing whether or not a person, whether life has left their body. It is very obvious, and in Mark's account, he adds a really interesting little note where Jesus looks at the Father and he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. So Jesus speaks to the reality of fear. I get it, Jesus. There's fear. Your, your, fear, your daughter is dead. I get it. You're, you are prone right now. Your inclination is to be afraid. To just let fear overwhelm you. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Matthew's account here is, is very brief. And, you know, again, there's, he, doesn't, he doesn't provide a lot of details. And I think the reason is, what, the reason for that is, Matthew's just getting to the point again of Jesus bringing new life. There's the new life for the woman who'd been suffering for 12 years, and now, boom, there's new life again. In an instant, he raises that girl. And, you know, I love, I love the way he, he just surmises it. News of this spread through all the region. No kidding. You, you think, how, how do you think that went? After that scene and what happened with that girl and news spread through the region. Oh, my word, did you just see what happened? That's what's going on, right? All sin and sickness bow at the name of Jesus. We sang that, right? When, when you sing that, when we sing that, when you sing that, when those words come out of your mouth, do, do we believe that? There, there was, again, and this is pretty much every week, there's words that we're singing and I'm going, Oh, man, do we realize what we're singing? Do we realize what we are proclaiming? Or do we go, I don't know. Maybe, if we're being honest, right? All sin and sickness bow at the name of Jesus. Yes. The Bible says yes. Now, I want to just again know, in our, in our world, pull it back to where we are at, both those situations, woman suffering for 12 years, girl that's dead, would you regard them as hopeless? Is there, is there hopelessness attached to those situations? If in the moment, right? Tons, right? Like, do you think if we're there that hopelessness would be our inclination? Yeah, I would be. My inclination would be, this is pretty hopeless. How could hopelessness not permeate both of those situations? And yet, dun, 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 new life. Where are we dealing, maybe on a smaller scale, hopeless situations in our lives? Where do you have situations right now in your life where you're like, that feels pretty hopeless to me. I don't have a lot of hope for that. Just, just allow yourself to engage right now with your heart. Where do you sense hopelessness in your life? 
Where have you experienced maybe such hopelessness in your life that you've simply buried the pain and the disappointment and the rejection of it because you just don't want to go there one more time? And you just aren't sure that you can even mentally, emotionally handle it anymore. That's reality of life, is it not? That can be a reality for many of us. It's too hard. It's too hard. I'm, I'm walking away from that. It's, don't want to do that. But what if Jesus is saying, yeah, but, but walking through it, it's not easy. Walking through tough, hard things isn't easy, but it's the only way to healing. You can bury it. You can try to bury it. You can keep trying to dig that hole deeper. It's never going to bring the healing that you need. Where do you long, where do we long for Jesus to bring new life into our lives? And where is God stirring faith in us for this? Where does God long to stir faith in you, to stir up that faith? Don't be afraid. Just believe. I'm not, I am not talking about some magic potion. I'm not talking, like, hear me in this. I'm not talking about some systematic steps. I'm not talking about, you know, you do this and you're guaranteed to get that. Not that. But this is the risen Lord Jesus. This is who he is. This is at the very core of who Jesus is and how he engages us as people. And he hasn't changed. Just an additional thought in this too, because I think this can be helpful. This is helpful for me. If you look at kind of what's going on here in Matthew 9, Jesus faced so much opposition. Like there's so much. And, and, and you, there's a part of it, like it, it can feel so constant, right? Like from, from situation to situation he's going to, it's just like opposition, opposition. How, how, do you, how do you keep yourself in those situations? How did Jesus handle this? Did he just grin and bear it? Did he just suffer through it? Did he just kind of, you know, grind, grit his teeth and go, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna gut this out. I'm gonna do it. No. It's not what Jesus did. He leaned on his father. He constantly went back to the father. He constantly spent time with the father. That is how he got through it. He had, Jesus had to battle his own humanity We see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus had to battle his feelings, his emotions, his humanity. It was part of who he was. And and the point for us that I, I take from this is, we can't do this on our own. You cannot do this on your own. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to have it. We have to. If we don't have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, how are we going to stand? And I'm not talking in theory, right? I'm not talking intellectual, theological theory. Whatever. We need the living Holy Spirit at work, empowering us, speaking to us, working through us, healing us. We cannot get by on just intellectual theology. We were never meant to. All right, let's go on. As Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. 
While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So these healings that we see now, there's five healings now that we've seen here in Matthew 9. They're, they're around this, this thing that Jesus is doing. It's centered around this new thing that Jesus is doing, and it's, it's highlighting for us the importance of faith. Believing, believing that Jesus can powerfully move. It, it's faith that brings us into contact with Jesus. That's what we see here again and again and again. What brings us into contact with Jesus? Faith. Not, not perfect faith. Not perfect faith at all, right? You have, you have the synagogue leader, Jairus. We know that the, the rabbi. He, it was his last ditch attempt to come to Jesus. We have the woman, superstitious faith. We have the blind men here. They, they say, they address Jesus as son of David. Well, that's, that's an interesting term that they're addressing him as. It's a political term. So again, imperfect faith. And there's, and there's two sides to healings in the gospel here. One, they are physical healings. They are powerful displays of God's power to heal. And so I, you know, again, we can sing with faith, all sin and sickness bow to the name of Jesus. Now, here's the tension we've got to wrestle with, is all sin and sickness, can all sin and sickness be healed? Yes. Does all sin and sickness get healed? No. Oh, okay. Even, and here's the thing, even if it did, guess what? You're all going to die. Physically, you're all, we're all dying. We're all decaying. So even if you keep getting healed, at some point your body, this physical body, is going to break down and you are going to die. Physically. So there's the tension with, but, 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 can Jesus heal? Can we have faith for Jesus to heal? Can we, can we live in that tension and keep going after what we feel Jesus is calling us to pray for? Yes. The other thing about healings in the Gospels is they also speak and they point to this spiritual condition, this, this need that we have and Jesus' power in every area. Like, like, we're seeing that, that nothing, nothing is impossible with Jesus. Nothing. It's just, there, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, zilch, anything that doesn't bow at the name of Jesus, doesn't bow at his feet. He can do whatever he wants. That's pretty comforting. So, I want to, I wanna, did you notice in the text here, that when Jesus heals these two men, and then he says to them, he says, see that no one knows about this. They didn't obey him. Do we see that? They, they, they went and did exactly the opposite of what he said. They didn't have the faith to obey Jesus for whatever reason, we don't know, and, and it wasn't like Jesus, it says that he warned them sternly. The point of this is, this wasn't a suggestion. Jesus actually was commanding them, don't go and tell anyone about this. Oh, great. And they go and do what they want. We, and, and here's the thing, we don't know why Jesus said this. We don't know his reasoning behind it. We don't know why he told them it. And here's the thing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He told them, don't do this. Perhaps it was simply about obedience. Perhaps there was something in those two that Jesus wanted to highlight. You need to walk in obedience. Jesus, he's, he's interacting with individual people here, right? He's not, he's, this is a specific people. Jesus will speak specifically to you in your life. And the thing that's, that's, I marvel at in this is Jesus knew that they were going to do this. And yet he still heals them. 
So I think, but I think it highlights for us important questions. Where am I struggling with obedience to Jesus in my life? Is, is there specific areas that the Holy Spirit is highlighting in me? Are you saying, you need to obey? This is what I'm calling you to do. It's not a suggestion. You know, the account here, that last verse that I read, it ends with the Pharisees making bizarre accusations. Like just like, it's like the level of bizarreness is just rising with them. They, they, they can't deny Jesus' power at this point. Like, like what are you going to do? It's obvious that there's things that he's doing that are just, this has never been seen in all of Israel. What is going on? He's doing it by the power of demons. Jesus, he addresses this nonsense later. He doesn't hear, but he, later on, he kind of, he addresses it. It's just like, like the logic is completely flawed and he addresses it later. But that's not the point. The point is here, in the midst, okay, in the midst of all this incredible stuff happening, there is a culture of unbelief that is permeating and still operating alongside it. In the midst of incredible faith, there's incredible unbelief. It is entirely possible, what we see here, it's entirely possible to be around Jesus and to receive nothing, to be entirely unchanged, it is entirely possible, actually, to experience miracles and claim that they are the work of Satan. It is entirely possible that that can happen. So, being in church, experiencing Jesus' power and presence can have actually no impact in our lives if we allow unbelief to exist and permeate alongside of it. Okay, so now, I just want to quickly, I think this is important. What's the root of unbelief? Because I think when we talk with this, this is important to kind of um, nail down a little bit. What's the root of unbelief, biblically? I, I think it's right, it's right at the very beginning. Did God really say? When the serpent comes to Eve, sorry, Adam's there too, and says, did God really say this? Right? So in the Garden of Eden, they were told, you cannot eat from this one tree. Everything else is permissible. You cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I've been listening lately to uh, this teaching on Genesis by Dr. Bill Creasy. Dwayne and I were talking with this guy and so I started listening to this guy teaching on Genesis this week, and he had a really interesting observation about that. Um, he says, you know, when they were told this, was that a forever thing? Well, or was it just about waiting? Right? Because you can say, he, and he used the example of a toddler with a shotgun. You will tell a toddler with a shotgun, do not touch that shotgun. Now, is that a forever thing? No, I, I mean, when, that, when that toddler grows and is, pro is able to properly handle that, that gun, then they may be able to use that, that rifle. The issue was obedience. Did God really say? Yes, he really said. And that's the root issue for us. Does obedience to what God says matter? Do, do I believe that I know best or that God knows best? And that ultimately comes down to, can I trust God? Is he really trustworthy? Do I believe what he says or am I going to try and make my own way? But the presence of faith, okay? So this is where we're going to end. Yes, unbelief is a real thing but the presence of faith. The, so it, it makes very little logical sense that I am following Jesus. 
my, me. It, it doesn't make sense that I'm following Jesus, folks. Given statistically, if you want to call it, given what I grew up in, given my family home, given all the stuff that was swirling around as I was growing up, it does not make sense that I am following Jesus. In fact, there was a ton of kids around me that I grew up with who were in far better situations than me who are not following Jesus. People who had way more going for them than me. So like, you go, it doesn't, like, how does that happen? When I, when I came to Jesus and I chose to surrender my life, I was messed up. Really messed up. Lots and lots and lots of healing needed to happen. And maybe, you know what? I'm saying this because I think that there's probably others of you right now here going, I can identify with that. That was me. There's the elements of that. That was me. And this is the thing that was, that was core for me. It was the choice of, am I going to believe and live in faith? Or am I going to give in to unbelief in my life? Am I, was I going to walk by faith in who Jesus was and allow him entrance into my life to begin his healing work? So these, these last two messages on, on Matthew 9 here, these last two weeks, these, these accounts that we've looked at, I want, I want to just ask us, where is Jesus unsettling our cultural norms? Where might Jesus want to shake what we think is, is normality? Where is Jesus offering us a new normal? Where, where is Jesus confronting ways of thinking and beliefs in us that need to change? Where he's saying, that, that, that needs to change. And where does Jesus want to do a new thing in you? And so that's where, that's why I titled today, that's where I want to kind of leave it. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Jesus asks. Where, where is Jesus asking you that in your life? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Because again, what was he doing? Jesus was going, he was proclaiming the kingdom, he was healing people, and it says that he had compassion for the people. You know that Jesus has loads and loads of compassion for us, even as he says hard things to us? He has loads and loads of compassion. You know, I wish I won't. I wish I had more time, but I'll just to spend on this. But I'll leave this the the, the last couple verses here. I'll leave this with us to go away and to kind of maybe percolate in us, where Jesus says, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field." It's fitting, right? This is harvest time. It's fitting that we read these verses. And, and the question that I'm wrestling with out of that is, do I want to be sent? Do you want to be sent? So he's using the harvest analogy. There's a harvest. There's people who need to hear about Jesus. There's people who need the new life of Jesus. And where, as you go out into your sphere, into your connections, into the places that you influence, so all of us, we're all going into spheres this week that we can influence. Where does Jesus want you to bring his new life along with you? And there's a few youth here. Kids are downstairs. Oh, that's right, because I wrote this when I thought kids would be upstairs. It's okay. But, but here's this, because this is just as pertinent, right, for youth and kids. And this is what we can sow into our kids. 
Where are you being sent? Where are our kids being sent? They're in their sphere and they're in their influences. And Jesus wants to work. Right? Every single school, every single place right now, this week, Jesus wants to work his kingdom in those places. Do we believe that? Let's pray. Let's, Jen, if you want to come up. Jesus, you are the way that you meet us, the way that you engage in the lives of people, and the way that you engage with us is we're so grateful. Jesus, thank you that you, you don't leave us where we are. And Jesus, we thank you so much for this promise of new life that you, you are bringing, that you brought, and that you're showing us and you're revealing to us. And Lord, where you want to bring healing and restoration into our lives, where you want to bring more and more of your kingdom, Jesus, would you help us to have willing, engaging, and open hearts? Holy Spirit, we invite you to work in us right now. Where it's, where it's hard, where there's things that we, we know in ourselves we don't really want to touch. And Jesus, you're saying, let me minister to that. Let me, allow me entrance to minister to that. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would come and that you would powerfully powerfully move in our lives where we know there's areas where we desperately need more of your presence, more of your healing, more of your work. We want to welcome you. We want to engage. We want to surrender ourselves where it's tough. Jesus, I pray that you'd help all of us this week as we go from here that you'd be reminding us Holy Spirit of this. Lord, I pray that, that you would do the work of transformation in us this week, that there would be things in us that we're giving to you and we're allowing you to touch. And we thank you, Jesus, for your saving 